I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co, I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. You will find that all the Welcome to our final podcast of the year. And what a year it's been. Creating each and every one of these podcasts has been an utter joy. There's not a single conversation that hasn't surprised, inspired and taught me something. It's my privilege to speak to founders who are so willing to share their own experiences, to delve deep and recount painful moments or the greatest of highs. But most of all, I feel honoured that they share their life lessons with me and I, in turn, can share them with you. You are all the wind beneath my wings. I'm eternally grateful for all your support and for joining me along this journey. I promise until I'm 90 to champion and cheerlead you, to create a landscape that supports your dreams and to be that dose of inspiration just when you need it most. I also wanted to take a moment to say an extra thank you to NatWest, our partners from day one who truly believe in the power of small and each week give away their very own ad break in order for small businesses to share their own stories. Thank you, NatWest. I'm so excited for next year. So it's time to settle down, grab a cup of tea and join me as I recount some of the conversations from the last year. And don't forget to listen out for some familiar voices who wanted to share their Christmas message. We're living in a time where it's becoming easier than ever to start a business. It is such an exciting time for small businesses, but it also means there's a crowded market and it's more important than ever to stand out from that crowd. So for part two of this Christmas special, where best to start than the god of brand, Sir John Hegarty, talking about just that. The uh, the ad you're talking about was a poster we did for Levi's. When we first won the business back in 1982, they sort of went, oh, gosh, you know, you've got the business, fantastic, very exciting. By the way, um, we've got to create an ad for black denim. We're going to launch black denim. And we said, oh, fantastic. So I went away and I, I kind of thought, right, OK, black denim. bit unusual. Denim, as we know, is blue. blue. This is black yep. denim. Blah, blah. So I did this poster, and you can imagine it. You can't see it, but you can imagine it. It's all these white sheep going in one direction, and in the middle, a black sheep going in the opposite direction. And it just says, Black Levi's, when the world zigs, you should zag. And what was, <laughs> what was funny about it was that, so this is the very first piece of creative work we're doing for Levi's. So I present the idea to them, and they say to me, but where are the picture of the jeans? And they went, 
oh no, oh God, this is terrible. And they, they were going, oh, we've hired this new agency and they're all a bunch of <laughs> lunatics and oh Jesus, they won't even put a pair of Levi, a pair of a product into the ad and we've got these posters running. And, and anyway, time was going on and, 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 you know, you had to print the posters. They ran out of time and they went, oh God, all right, we better go with it. And anyway, they printed up, posted it and it got a huge response. And one of the things that happened is it's still family owned. Levi's, um, uh, the great grandson of the uh, owner of Levi's, saw the poster and had it framed and put in his office. And he said, This is what this company should always be about. Wow. So back here, yes. the client went, This has been a huge success. And they gave me a black sheep as a gift for saying, Thank you for being so belligerent and not belligerent but, yes, you know, but awkward and yes, you know wouldn't change standing you know, by that. your idea and so that then became our logo and there's a creative point here, yes is that your work does your talking we hadn't sat down and said let's invent a logo what do we want to do we let the work inform our decision I think this sagging, as you call it, is pure creativity, or as Apple says, you know, think differently. Now at Hoddy Co, I actually call this bringing colour to grey, making the world more different, more colourful, mm. more unique, especially the business world. What would be your advice for anyone starting out today, wanting to start a business from what they passionately are about? Well, I, th I think the first thing, and, and, and you've talked about it, it's so important, is be different. The only reason why we have a number of car brands is that one's different from the other. If they're all the same, what's the point in having them all? And people forget that. And you've got to remember, the world is going to try and make you all the same. You've got to fight that. You've got to fight that sense of, oh, that's different, as though it's a criticism. No, that's, that's a great compliment. I could honestly just listen to John talk all day. I just want to absorb everything he says and immediately action it. This year, I also spoke to the brilliant founders of Sipsmith, Sam and Fairfax. It wasn't the first time that I'd visited the Sipsmith distillery, but it doesn't get any less impressive each time. Sam and Fairfax were brilliant fun to speak to, insightful, knowledgeable and utterly passionate about their craft. They are a shining example of taking a traditional industry and modernising it. For them, it was imperative to stand out within a large market. And here are Sam and Fairfax discussing the meaning behind their brand name and their philosophy in being distinctive. You know, we actually, the, the shape of the bottle is really important. You know, we really wanted to look like, you know, an old school gin. And I think, you know, timely and timeless. You know, the, the big feature there is the swan, and that's to do with the swan's neck, where the vapour turns and has the condenser. And, uh, um, the copper is there to suggest that... the 100% of the spirit has gone off our copper still. And then we've got the juniper berry. And then, and then on the back, we've got the, the, the word London. That's a really important thing. This is the spiritual home of this great gin. It's this, this category that we've regenerated. And then, and then underneath, uh, it's got this lovely Latin expression. Um, it's a cygnus inter anates, which means a swan among ducks. And I think that's just a reminder about not taking ourselves too seriously um, but I think, you know, that to us, uh, you know, to the category, I think is a real, it's, it's a beacon. We always talk about, instead of being different, about being distinctive. Difference, USPs and, you know, all that sort of stuff, they suggest a rational difference, which is important and the yeah. future that ladders off that. But actually, distinction is about 
memory, it's about sensing. It's, it's, a, it's the emotional part. And I think that is the way brand personality, tone of voice, look and feel. You actually can't create that. There's just sort of, it comes together symbiotically and it's this sweet spot. Um, so we, we talk a lot about, you know, well, what's distinctive about that? And that will challenge you. Well, why is that so distinctive? There is, to us, a distinct difference between different and distinct. And I think, um, you know, it, it really sets it apart. And that, that I think, is when, when we do something at Sipsmith, and we always talk about, you know, no half measures. It's all about making sure it's done with memory in mind. We're making sure that that connection with that consumer or that group of gin and tonic drinkers is... It stays with them for, for as long as possible. That might be the look and feel of the ambiance, the music that's played, you know, where it is, the setting. That is what it's about. We are in an experiential world now, and you know, people need that emotive, evocative, distinctive moment to take away with them. And that is what that's where the heart comes from in branding. Yeah. yeah. Sam and Fairfax was so lovely to meet and Sam's letter to his younger self is one of the most emotional yet. With such soulful, retrospective advice, please do have a listen if you haven't. Hi, this is Richard Reed from Innocent Drinks and Jam Jar Investments just wishing all of... Holly's Christmas listeners a very Merry Christmas and uh, pass on a bit of Christmas corporate advice which is make sure you stay away from the vodka ice fluge at the Christmas party and I can speak from deep deep personal experience so all the best for the coming year hope you guys nail it uh, there's never been better time to set up a business so good luck bye for now Most founders know the destination, but not necessarily the path. I know that was certainly true on my own entrepreneurial journey. When launching Not on the High Street, I knew that there was magic when bringing curated small businesses under one roof. Of course, we had twists and turns, but even in the early days, we knew it was working and slowly but surely, more orders were coming through the tills. And then we noticed a pattern personalization and boom our world changed we add the personalized tab and we were off now i wish i could say the rest is history well i suppose in some ways it is but the path to success is never easy i love hearing these light bulb moments and none more so than the one told by the hilariously brilliant keith abel founder of abel and cole charismatic, genuine and incredibly funny. We laughed our way through this podcast recording. So here's Keith telling me all about his Eureka moment. So I sort of liked the idea of, you know, doing my own thing. I think that was clear quite early on. But I think, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that I had this absolute passion for organic vegetables mm -hmm. and this was going to be my life mm -hmm. and I dedicated myself to that. It's just because it's not true. The reality of how it happened is we were selling, as I say, truckfuls of potatoes and a farmer came along to me called Bernard Govier and he said, do you want to sell some organic potatoes? And I said, you know, all potatoes are organic. This is 1989, so it's not anyone's buzzword at this point. 
And he said, well, why don't you ask the farmer you're getting them from what chemicals he uses on them? So I used to regularly go down to this farm in Kent and I said, can you show me what chemicals you use? And he pulled back this door of this enormous shed and there were a lot of skull and crossbones around. And so I was quite fascinated by the fact that Bernard was able to grow without these chemicals. And then it just became a fabulous sales line because you go out, you see, still, I was still selling on the door and you say, do you want yeah. the ones with chemicals or without? Yeah. And you'd explain on the doorstep yeah. how organic farming worked. You know, one gets the fuel off petrochemicals on the top of it the other one gets it from the soil which do you want and funnily enough everyone asked for that and I'll never forget this is absolutely not a word of a lie on the first day I went out with that sales pitch we sold about 100 bags of organic spuds we got back at the end of the day we called them an OX organic 10 pound bag of potatoes in our little book Paul turned around to me and said by the way what price did you sell them for I said I didn't mention a price so the only question we were ever asked before is, how much are they? Yeah. And no one asked. They just said, oh, well, I'll try those. So yeah. that was then, the, that was that kind of, that chap in the bath, isn't it? It overflows and you go, God, fucking I'm onto something here. I just love that story. If you haven't heard his podcast, please go and have a listen. Hearing him recounting the early days selling fire extinguishers to unsuspecting customers, to his ethos on recruitment, it's one not to miss. There are a number of reoccurring attributes in the founders I've interviewed. Very passionate, creative and challenging the status quo. But interestingly, acting quickly and decisively has been an attribute that has cropped up time and time again. Hurricane Holly has been a long-running joke from a young age, but speed is sometimes the greatest weapon of a small business. We're able to move quickly in response to events. We can twist and turn and we're agile. We're hummingbirds and chameleons all in one. But as much as one knows something like needing to act quickly, there is nothing like being backed into a corner and forced to move fast. Rowan from Naked Wines and Julie Dean, founder of Cambridge Satchel Company, share their experiences. Well, I had two bits of luck in my life. One was getting hired by Richard Branson. The other was getting fired by Tony Lathwaite. And when Virgin Wines first launched, we made every dot-com mistake at the time, big fancy head offers, big ad campaign, burnt our way through millions, discovered six months later we'd got nothing for it. <laughs> and we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and so we had to do a real kind of, you know, lose 80% of the overhead, lose the fancy London headquarters, retreat with tail between the legs to cheap offices in Norwich, start again from the beginning. And we did, and we built it back up to a 25 million pound business that was making a million and a bit pounds a year. And by this stage, we'd sold the business to Lathwaite's. Uh, and then we had a, a bit of a fallout, uh, which resulted in them firing me. And I turned up at a meeting thinking I was negotiating to buy the company back again, and instead got given a letter saying that I was out. And I walked out and got out my phone, which had been cancelled, while I was in the meeting. So I walked into a mobile phone shop, got a, got a new phone, phoned the office and said, anything going on there? And they said, yeah, place is crawling in lawyers. What's, what's going on? So I said, okay, well, these 17 people, tell them don't sign anything, don't agree anything. And I then phoned a German friend 
who had been looking at funding the business and said, would you like to fund a startup? And he went, yep, sure. In the few hours post you... Minutes. Minutes, my goodness. And he said, how much money do you need? And I said, I think three million. (laughs) And he said, what currency? Pounds. (laughs) (laughs) He went, okay. (laughs) So within 15 minutes of being fired, I had a team funding and a new phone. The thing that's really important is that you need something that you feel completely passionate about because, you know, I I started Cambridge Satchel with £600. That was the... That was the the amount that I had to spend on it. I wasn't going to borrow. I wasn't going. It was that's what it was, and and so I had to learn to code to code the first website. You know, I had to do that. And so when you're doing that, and you've got a six year old and an eight year old, and there aren't that many sort of hours in the day, you find yourself. It's three o'clock in the morning, and you're trying to mm-hmm. learn to code because. You've set yourself this ridiculous target of, I'm going to learn to code over three nights, and then on the fourth night, I'm writing the website. And, and that's what's happening here. Oh and, and so you need to be good at prioritizing. We did the best we could to get the job done. And I think that realizing that that's more important than having things perfect, because sometimes you can't afford perfect. If you don't have that sense of urgency, if you have you know, money to do it and you have, you know, as long as you need to do it, you'll become one of those people that uh, I've come across when when I do these sort of like um, ask business questions and and they'll come up and and they'll dither, they'll dither for ages on, I don't know about the right name for my business and I don't know about the right end. And you say, oh my gosh, for goodness sake, Cambridge Social Company, I allocated myself 10 minutes to think, of the name of the company and let's face it it's, it's so I lived in Cambridge and I sold satchels the Cambridge satchel company <laughs> done just but, move on but also move touch on. on the fact that your bags are sold on uh, Fifth Avenue uh, Selfridges Harvey Nichols and you created your logo in word art yeah word art not just word I'm taking a bit of taking a bit of credit here word art you know some some people that yes. you might have experienced and now are no longer here might have spent, you know, a pretty penny on on that logo and that brand and that. Uh, and what's even you know. more surprising is that that logo did take less than half an hour and it was word with word art. But what is surprising now is there will be at least three times every year that I will go to some event in London where someone will claim to have been part of the team that created the Cambridge Satchel logo. <laughs> And, it is, and I'll always put my hand up and just say, you oh, do not look like my mother. And so <laughs> that's not quite oh, true. what a moment. What a moment. Hello to all the lovely listeners of Conversations of Inspiration. This is Julie Dean from the Cambridge Satchel Company. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with Holly during the year nearly as much as I enjoyed having it. I wanted to wish everybody a very, very happy Christmas. And maybe this is the time you take a step back from your day job and start dreaming about what you wish your day job could be. So everybody, happy, happy Christmas and an absolutely wonderful 2020.
It's often in the darkness that we see the light, and this was never more true than when speaking to Kelly Holmes, sharing a story I'd never heard. That shock in your eyes when you won that first gold medal must be engraved on the hearts of all of us Brits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, those moments were absolutely amazing. I think it's more the, the bit behind it that showed in my face as opposed to the actual winning and crossing the line. But what people didn't understand behind the story was the real depths of despair, you know. And in 2003, the World Championships I'm getting ready for, age 33, I'd been in the Army military for 10 10 years, been an international athlete for 11 years, yet I had the biggest breakdown of my life. You know, I I was in a holding camp and uh, basically I'd got a niggle again. I was getting ready for Paris World Championships I went into my hotel, I went into the bathroom, I looked in the mirror, I hated everything about myself. Suddenly this big black cloud came over me, I'd had this massive breakdown, I looked in the mirror, hated everything about myself, wanted the floor to open, I wanted to jump in it, I wanted to hide. But I saw some scissors on the side and I started to cut myself every day and be injured. When you're wearing a crop top and shorts, there's not that many places, but hiding is what mental health is, people hide because they don't know how to express themselves, tell themselves, or do whatever. And I was at the depths of despair. And the thing is, I was still getting ready for world champs. And that was the power of having a dream, because it kept me almost alive. Like, half of you's dying and half of you's trying to live, because you want to be the person you believe you have been fighting for all your life. So I ended up at those championships, have been this mad moment of despair winning a silver medal and no one knew when it got put around my neck that that's what I was going through and even I suppose that realization of that how you can as a person when things are going so wrong still have a strong element of you I think we underestimate how strong we are as people when it goes down and the fighters and the one that's successful the ones that don't give up they're like no I believe in this you'll take all the shit because you believe in it what a lovely woman there was something magnetic about her energy I left her that day feeling so in awe of her attitude to life and triumphing against adversity Another founder I'm totally in awe of is the brilliant Andy, founder of Vinegar and Brown Paper. I'm his biggest fan. Just everything he creates is so clever. I adore him. In one of our first podcasts, he shared his story and I thought it was important to capture in this episode. Well, it sounds like things had to change. Uh, yeah. And uh, well, yeah, it was about I know that it was it was. Well, my wife knew that it was really, really bad because I remember going to her at one point, I just don't... I said to her one evening, I, I just don't want to do anything creative anymore. I, I just... Because mm-hmm. I don't want to feel like... This. I don't ever want to... I just yeah. want to go and get a job doing Run something. away. And and she was like, well, don't do it. Quit. Which I'm so lucky... I'm so yeah. lucky that I, you know... Um, had her had support. Wife, yeah, exactly. But prior to that, Although it was her saying you can do it, it was also there's a beautiful irony that I told work I, I need something. I'm, I'm kind of like really close to having a breakdown. I, I, I'd flagged it a few times. Uh, anyway, they'd set me up with a life coach, but basically uh, the life coach meeting was on Wednesday, the seventh of October or something. On the Monday, I had a total breakdown, and right. I walked out. I, I was in a bru- in a stationary cupboard, uh, crying, and one of the salespeople came and found me. And uh, basically, I just kind of said, I, I, I've, I've just got to go. And I just, 
And I just walked out and I drove home. I kind of decided to go to the life coach thing on the Wednesday anyway because I didn't have to go back to work and it was a range mm-hmm. and I felt bad kind of just yeah. like going. <laughs> um, basically, she just said, well, why, why are you staying there? Why don't you just go? Yeah. Why don't you just leave? Yeah. And it was at that point, it was someone saying, you can, you can do it. Giving but you permission almost. Giving me permission. Yeah, and then permission my wife said, well, me. yeah, just do it. Was that walking away a relief? There was no romantic beautiful walking away screw the system sort of thing that and i i'm always at pains to explain to people that 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 never happened there was no i'm gonna own my have my own studio and, and etch glass and screw the system and the ma-. that never happened it was always i just walked out because if i'd stayed then i don't know what i would have done there was no that and it took a long time for me to to get it took you know a couple of years i'd slowly slowly clawed back into creativity um so uh, the company's called vinegar and brown paper it comes from the fact that i was a stay-at-home dad uh, at this point i'd quit and my job and stuff and then we had a daughter and i was looking after her at home so obviously you've got lots of nursery rhyme stuff going off and uh one of them that we went you know through was the jack and jill nursery rhyme yes and there's a bit know it well in um jack and jill where jack falls down and he breaks his crown and then tries to mend it with vinegar and brown paper and I just like the concept of mending my head. And so the business was vinegar and brown paper, which I would essentially try and mend my head with. Did you know that your story, you were happy for your story, you were happy to be open with what some that's people might actually keep very private? Yeah, that's a good question. For me, I, I never really deliberated over it. I think I just took the decision that this, you know, I, mm. I was fucked and, you know, I was really low. This is me now. But, like, even from the beginning, I was... A lot of the pieces are about being having creative block and, and feeling, um, you know, it's very personal stuff, which yeah. is, I think, what makes a lot of them resonate with people. It makes it real. I'm incredibly lucky. I love where I am now. I mean, this, I mean, this, this studio here, I mean, like... <laughs> This is the me I would have always wanted to be. I interrupt your day with an important campaign message straight from the Shop Independent Campaign Headquarters. Like every year, we've gone all out to bring to life my mission in life, that we need to vote with our money and shop small. And there isn't a more important time to do this than at Christmas. So we've got amazing artists donating bespoke campaign artwork, including Rob Ryan, Dave Buonaguidi, Survival Techniques, Ollie Fowler and Rebecca Strickson. Some available for you to buy and some ready for you to regram or download from our site to create your own placards or proudly just display these works of art on your office wall or in your shop window. And if you want to get involved, you can. If you'd like to send in your own contribution to this campaign, please do. Send it in to us at Campaign Headquarters and you can find all the details on my website, holly.co. I love this end of our year. For me, it's what makes Christmas. The postman arrives in the office every day with beautiful packages of creativity. And I'll be capturing everything that's sent in to me on my Instagram stories and tagging you in. 
And thanks to our partner, NatWest, who believe in the power of small as much as I do, I'll be travelling the length and breadth of this country with my placards, visiting independent towns and campaigning for everyone to shop with their independence this Christmas and vote with their money. So please do look out for my announcements. Thanks a lot. Every week, there's an opportunity to have your very own ad break on this podcast. And it's all thanks to our partner, NatWest. NatWest's mission is to empower entrepreneurs. And so they're offering their very own ad break on this very podcast to any small business listening to help promote themselves for free. For your chance to win this incredible opportunity worth thousands and thousands of pounds, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreak at holly.co or find out more information on our website. This week, the winner of the NatWest Independent Ad Break is the App Creator Programme. Over to you. My name is Charlotte Maslin and I'm the founder of the App Creator Programme, a programme designed to help entrepreneurs create apps. I believe that anyone can create an app. Well, anybody with a background in the tech industry? Nope. Surely you need to know some basic coding? You don't need to know coding. You just need a good idea and the perseverance to see your idea through. How do I know this? Because eight years ago, when I was pregnant with my son, I saw a gap in the app market and created my own app. I went on to create four more. They're all live and bringing in income. Now I help others do the same. Visit theappcreatorprogram.com for details or find me, Charlotte Maslin, on social media and turn your dreams of owning an app into reality. That's theappcreatorprogram.com. I look forward to hearing from you. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses can tell and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. There was a lot of discussion in the office about what to include in these episodes. It was not an easy task, but something we all agreed was important to include was the topic of female empowerment. Of course, it is something incredibly important to me. It's something I'm passionate about as a female founder in the tech world 15 years ago. The landscape has changed, but has it changed enough? Here's Henrietta, founder of Lily's Kitchen, talking about just that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> One of the areas that I feel has not changed whatsoever, and I know this may be deeply cynical, is, is the role of women in business. I mean, I have to say I get patronised relentlessly. Pretty much every conference I go to, I could be the only woman there, apart from the, uh, the woman who's taking coats. It's, it is incredibly common. I know sometimes that I get sent a car to pick me up, 
and I think, oh, this is wonderful. I've got a car to pick me up, but I don't need to worry about jumping on the tube. But it's to make sure that I arrive um, at the the conference or the talk or whatever because, oh, whoops, I'm the only woman who's there. And I just find that unbelievable. I, I went to girls' school. I went to women's college at Cambridge. You know, I've been in business for 30 years, and I cannot believe... The progress, it's just been so, so slow. And um, I'm I'm very worried. I have a daughter who's 23, and I just think, God, you know, we need to change things much faster in this area. So do you think, let's say, tell me, what really would you say are some of the things that you think would change things? Militancy. Women, we're very nice, and we're glad to be vulnerable and happy for guys to sort of, you know, lead the meeting and, you know, all the rest of it. But it's, I think I, I'm getting to the point about the way I just think we need to become much more militant. I mean, I think, <laughs> I'm saying it slightly tongue-in-cheek, but I'm quite serious about it. Recently, I was at an event and chatting to a guy, and he said to me, oh, yes, Lily's Kitchen. And he said, so, um, so, and you make it in your kitchen? This was six months ago. And I said to him, make it in my kitchen. No, I sell 50 million tins a year. My kitchen's not that big. Um, but to think that he's, he just assumed that because I was a woman running a food business, I would be making it in the kitchen. I've been referred to as a mumpreneur, which I know can be a trendy uh, word for some people, but I absolutely hate it. It's so patronizing. I can't imagine any man being happy, being described as a dadpreneur. Um, no, they were not. No, and I just, you know, the level of just the assumptions, I think, is 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 what needs to um, what needs to be pushed aside. And I think part of it is back to that first point you made around money. I think women we're ashamed when we make money, and women who win big prizes tend to give the money away because you know they I don't know if they can't deal with with having that much money. But I think related to to this is is a money conversation that that women are are worried to be seen to be successful. But I really do feel that change is afoot and it was an unexpected topic and theme that cropped up throughout many speeches on our magical day in September at the Congregation of Inspiration. Here is Sahar talking about women in business. I'm just going to share with you one slide to start off. Um, I want you to look at this slide. This is from Forbes. Because I don't know if you know what an absolutely extraordinary opportunity we have in this world we live in. Because what's happening outside, the disruption, the digital disruption especially, is moving the world from quite a male world, whereby that whole command and control structure, it's moving it to somewhere very, very different. The old world of business used to be very male because command and control was actually, if you think about it, set up from the military. It was just the way they did it in the military. That doesn't work anymore. And we're moving towards much more feminine traits, which is why the heading of this article in Forbes was actually entrepreneurship is the new woman's, women's movement. Um, it's not always been like that. And I'm just going to tell you my story of how I came across entrepreneurship. Um, I started my life getting a job because I thought this idea of what entrepreneurs were, very much entrepreneurs... For me, when I was growing up, there was just about one entrepreneur in the whole of the UK, and he was a man, and his first name was Richard. And you can guess the rest. And this idea of Richard Branson entrepreneurship was, A, you had to have made your first million selling sweets in the school playground. 
B, you had to have dropped out of school in some way. Like, I never really dropped out of school, so I thought clearly if I didn't drop out of school, I've got absolutely no creative leadership ability whatsoever. I didn't make any money selling worms to my parents. So I thought clearly, entrepreneur, I am not. I'm not that type. So I went and got a job, and I absolutely hated it. I got a job whereby I couldn't be me doing it. Um, and I think for us women, that's very difficult. I got a job whereby... Every day when I went to work, I felt like I was leaving a part of myself behind. It was almost like I was leaving the real Sahar behind, 100% Sahar, my sort of heart and soul, and putting on this work face. And I just found that really difficult because I just couldn't understand. I'd be working the best of my life, most of my waking hours. How could I do something that wasn't really me? And I think they're just about, you've got to know what qualities you have. I think just about the two qualities I've got in life is one is my optimism, the other my enthusiasm. And very quickly in the job I had, I realized just about the two qualities they didn't really want was optimism or enthusiasm. So I was like entirely wasted. And it's sort of like, because I was disconnected from who I was, and it's so important for us to connect, I sort of almost... By the end of the five years in this job, I'd sort of resorted to bitching by the water cooler, kind of involved in office politics and the sort of bitchiness and cattiness. And until something happened, I came across entrepreneurship in a way by accident. So I genuinely think what I want to celebrate today, and my God, this room, this place, what Holly and Co. have created, is celebrating what I genuinely consider is the feminine future. I think entrepreneurship is the new women's movement. Women that have come before us weren't so lucky. They had to emulate men. But we have the freedom to be 100% ourselves. My God, what an opportunity. Let's all find our diamonds. And my motto in life is leap and the net will appear. I couldn't end this topic without including Asma Khan and an important message in this world of Instagram and one that I could not agree more with. You have to visualise yourself victorious. That is so important. That look in vision, the mirror, look yeah. in the mirror and you say, I am successful. Yeah, yeah. And that, that image should never change in your head. You are successful. Yeah. Important. And I often go to talk to young uh, South Asian girls, you know, in, in community centers. And I tell them, your power is not your dress size. And your power is not your bank balance. Your partner's bank balance or your father's bank balance. Your power is whose life you changed. Because they need to start thinking, you know, whose life can I change? Who's, who can I lift? Because you lift, you rise. So, you know, to be in this position that people like you and I are, where people look up to us because we have managed to make it. How we made it, I don't know, but we made it. Then our responsibility is not to walk away. I listen to other women, I read all their emails, I tell them very honestly something that is good. I also tell them the things that I'm slightly concerned about that I think may not work, but I will write 10 things that are positive and the two things that I have concerns about. I'm honest, but I will say it because I realize one thing, that at this point, Maybe my voice counts. The other thing is also, don't set yourself on fire to warm up everybody. That is so important that you know you... Say it again. <laughs> Do not set yourself on fire to warm up everybody. Yeah. Wow. Yes. That's, yes. I need to listen to this. Yeah. No, because that, that's it's the other true. big, you know, mistake a lot of entrepreneurs make. That, you know, they want to be, you know, this person that everybody sees them as this is what they should be doing, no. 
If it is hurting you, if it's not working, let go. Hi, my name's Tommy Myers from Oaxaca, and I want to wish you all a very happy Christmas. My way of coping through the silly season, particularly when I get home with all my relatives and all the delicious food, is lots of brisk walks. Even if it's dark, I love to look at the twinkling stars and feel that I'm on holiday and getting lots of fresh air and just feeling very lucky to be alive. So happy Christmas to all of you and have a wonderful time. Speaking of being a woman in business, one of my most asked and irritating questions is how do I manage the work-life balance? I don't mind this question itself, but it's knowing that a man would never be asked this question that drives me crazy. But as a small business, our work is our life and we are in a unique position. So I thought I'd share Henry Dimbleby, founder of Leon, and Pip Jamieson, founder of The Dots, and their philosophy on the work-life balance. I would say, first of all, I think that the concept of work-life balance is a very dangerous one. So it suggests that somehow there's this thing that work which supports your life and then there's this other thing that's life and it's just kind of insane way of looking at things. There's just life. So um, integrate your family as much into your business as possible. And in fact, the, one of the most wonderful things that happened with the School Food Plan was my wife, uh, who's a journalist, edited it. She used to edit mm. the week and she edited it. And we spent, like, we can't, we'd, we'd do it at night when the kids had gone to bed and we'd sit in an office me drafting stuff and her editing it and sending it back and forth between us. And it was the most amazing experience because, you know, it's mm. like fantastic. If your spouse really is that involved in what you're doing, you know, bring your kids. One of the great things, don't, don't be, uh, if you're an entrepreneur, don't be bound by the conventions of work. You know, one of the great things, there are lots of really shitty things about being an entrepreneur. One of the great things are you are the boss. So don't be embarrassed about bringing your kids into work all the time or leaving early to take them to the, you know, to pick them up for school. That is one of the most amazing things about an entrepreneur is you have freedom over your time. I fall into it still. You know, there is this way that we have been brought up or we still have ingrained because a lot of businesses start because they've had a more corporate experience, let's say, before. They go into running their own businesses and they're still bound by the nine to five, the am I working hard enough? Yeah. And they seem to just forget that they're actually working pretty much, if not in their offices or wherever, in their mind, you know, at least 20 hours of the day or 15 hours of the day. Yeah. So actually, as, as you said, it's that balance, that, that the ridiculous notion of balance it is all at one and it's just fitting it in like a jigsaw puzzle you know yeah. it, it can be any way that you choose but you can choose and actually as you said it's tough enough as it is let alone then constraining your life to sort of be this nine to five where the whole point was you were getting out of the yeah, nine to five exactly. and have to have that fun to have exactly. that fun with it as well that if on a Friday you're going to go out and um, you know take the whole afternoon off and maybe have yeah. a glass of wine with a girlfriend or something like that that's okay because guess what you're working on Saturday and Sunday yeah. you didn't get a gold star for it um, there's no one looking <laughs> at you you didn't get any well done or anything like that no so, one cares the other thing is no one <laughs> literally no one gives a shit about you everyone is 
like wrapped up in the world. They don't care if your business goes bust, if it succeeds. They do not care. So get over yourself. <laughs> Just get on with it. I love this quote. For anyone that's thinking of starting a business, you really need support at home. I work crazy hours. Bringing your partner along on the journey with you is almost as important as bringing investors along the journey. My husband is an integral part of my team, but not actually on my team. Yeah, I mean, he's been incredible. I mean, you actually summed it up perfectly earlier where you said, you know, you're the cheerleader. He's my cheerleader. You know, I've done a lot of work to take him on that journey. But, you know, I will come home at the end of the night. It's been a really stressful. I'll just burst out crying on him and he's there kind of feeding me wine. Um, but, you know, he, he's my rock through thick and thin, you know, because it can be lonely. I'm a sole female tech founder. It can be lonely. There are times when I completely question myself and he's, he's one there of the loneliest going. jobs in the world yeah. so it's amazing that he's there yeah, he's there amazing. for you yeah he's incredible I actually gave him business cards that say head of special projects it doesn't work for me but it was um he loves them so oh, I love um, that. that kind of means he gets to play that. father Christmas at our Christmas party and you know he helped find the office and he actually interviewed um Annie who's who you've been chatting to when she first started the dots and after the interview she went so what's your role here and he was like um uh, special projects <laughs> so but he's you know it's just amazing I think actually he always wanted to be an entrepreneur and then he's seen how blooming hard it is and so he gets to live vicariously through me you put him off but he gets to be close enough to one to know what it's like pip had an infectious energy about her and both henry and pip mirrored my own views that we must stop talking about this outdated term when you do what you love life is just life it's a mixture of all the wonderful things your business your family your passion all in one messy busy mix Great businesses are beyond a single person, whether it be your family, the team around the founders or the customers. It takes a tribe to make a business fly. When launching Holly & Co, I knew that it had to be a business bigger than me. And so from the very beginning, we've had this at the heart of what we do. It's what the Co in Holly & Co stands for, community. So I've loved hearing about the role community has played in the success of so many other businesses, starting with the brilliant Joe Wicks. The day Joe came to our offices, I will never, ever forget. The entire team were buzzing with excitement as he zoomed up the road on his electric skateboard. I hadn't met him prior to this interview, but he was engaging, insightful and so honest. I quickly became a fan. But I remember it must have been six or seven years ago, walking through Richmond High Street on my way to Notton High Street's offices. And I would always see this guy every day in all weathers, flyering for his fitness classes. And I know before we were recording, you were talking to Gabby, who's my co-founder. And there she was remembering her first time at one of your lessons. And it was only her and another person. And then suddenly, like sort of out of nowhere, the Joe that I passed every day was suddenly on billboards advertising his lean and fit. What a wonderful introduction. It's so nice. And I I often forget the journey I've been on. It feels like sometimes people look and they say, you've got all these followers, it's an instant success, but it was eight years of really, you know, hard work and going up to turn up to the boot camp and nobody would be there. And I would go flying out to the station and I kept repeating that. I just had this ethos that I thought if I just come back one more day and come back next week, one more person might turn up. So I would wake up and I would cycle all the way with a push bike and a trailer. So I'd load the kettlebells up, I'd load the pads and the TRX and the rope and all that. 
I'd cycle That's all the way. That's quite heavy, isn't it? Yeah, it was really heavy, but I loved it. I loved, I just felt I was getting fitter as I did it. <laughs> so I'd leave my house about half five in the morning, cycle all the way to Old Deer Park. Yeah. I'd cross that main road, you know, the big main oh, road, yeah. set up my boot camp. I'd put all the stations out. I'd have 15 stations thinking today's the day that 15 people are going to turn up and nobody would come, you know, and it was really tough and it was, it was difficult, but I just refused to give up. So I'd go flyering. And in that process of I eventually kind of built my bootcamp business. And then I, I started to share things on Twitter and Facebook. And eventually Instagram opened up video in 2014. Yes. That was when I had the idea for Lean in 15. So I, I sat there with my phone. I made this really bad recipe, really monotone voice. I wasn't excited. <laughs> I was just sounded really depressed. Posted it, not really knowing what I was doing. And that one idea has gone on to become this huge thing. You know, I've... I've sold three and a half million books and I've reached millions of people because of that one idea. And honestly, the amount of people that said, Joe, you're so annoying, your voice is annoying, why are you being silly? Like, get back to your boot camp, you know. But I persevered and, and because of that, I've built this wonderful business and this, and this amazing community. That is without a doubt the fuel that keeps me going. That's what keeps me doing Instagram stories till midnight and replying to DMs and voice notes because... That's truly my passion and purpose, and I love it. And I always say I'm very purpose-driven, not profit-driven. You know, I've reduced the price of the plan. I redesigned the plan. And for all the people that signed up before, I gave it all to them because I wanted to say thank you for helping me grow the business. And so it's little things like that. And I want people to know that, yeah, when they become a part of the company or part of the business, like, I'm always grateful. I really, mm -hmm. really value the importance of just saying thank you to people. And it's been, it's just been phenomenal. I can't believe the testimonials I read from people that have overcome whether it's relationship stuff or confidence in roles. I've, I've spoke to so many people that have been dieting for 20 years and they've done my plan and within 90 days they feel like a completely different person. So without a doubt, that is what motivates me and that keeps me going. Joe is a testament to the power of believing in your vision and also the power of community in building that vision into a hugely successful business. Community has been a strong theme throughout our podcast and I loved hearing Gemma from Motherhood's thoughts on creating a tribe. As I look at my young girls entering this world, I want to make sure that they have the confidence of self-worth to, to use their voice and to value themselves enough to use it. And I was on Instagram which I didn't really understand as a platform, in all honesty, to begin with. It just looked like a bit of an odd Pinterest. Um, but I found <laughs> a group of wonderful women who I think are really well known. So Mother Pucker, Clemmie Hooper, Clemmie Telford, all of these sorts who were just talking their motherhood. And I hadn't seen that before. And I thought, well, my motherhood can't be that weird. You know, th there must be other people who have gone through this. And since starting it I, I know that there are there are lots of people who watch my stories and they say thank you because they didn't realize that's what they were struggling with but are now getting help which is amazing so I started to share my version of my motherhood and my wish and how I wanted to raise my girls which is to be incredibly strong and because I'd done fashion buying before I, I knew that garments and produce were actually the fastest vehicle for spreading that message and the best way of spreading it. So I launched a few t-shirts alongside what was my chat. That was the, that was the main mm -hmm. thing. So what's happened is I've managed to build a brand based on Strong Girls Club, but its foundations are all to do with the community that was built before and is continuing to grow behind it. Um, and I always talk about how thankful I am to those who follow my, me on Instagram for the growth of the business, because actually it's because of our dialogue and our conversation that something that could just be seen as words on a T-shirt actually has real depth and meaning to everyone mm. who, who sort of buys into it. Mm. 
Another founder who had community at the very heart of her business was Ella Mills, founder of Deliciously Ella. Ella was one of the first podcasts and it was a very surreal moment going into her offices and meeting her after having followed her for so long on social media. I loved how she shared her journey so openly with her community. I so often see founders being incredibly secretive about their plans, but sometimes it's so advantageous, as Ella shares here. Our brand has been so community-led. Um, the community is kind of always at the heart of what we do. And, you know, we, up until January this year, which was four and a half years into Delicious Yellow kind of being a business... We had no one in our marketing department. We therefore created that level of sales, retail listings, etc., etc., all on the back of this concept of community online. I don't think Delicious Yellow would have ever started no. a decade yeah. ago because I never would have got the opportunity to share our voice anywhere else. No one would have put a pun on tracking me on TV or anything like that. And, you know, no way. If I was a small business listening now, give me two, three things that you'd say... Now, looking back, you would say, right, these are the core things to build a community that cares. So I think the first thing that I did, and this was pretty accidental, um, but I think engaging. I had nothing else to do when I started writing Delicious Yellow. I was in bed, as I said, I was watching Grey's Anatomy and Kim Kardashian on TV. I mean, I was not busy. Um, and so I had loads of time. So I, if you emailed me saying you'd made something for dinner, I wanted to know about it. I really started to get to know our audience. That did one of two things. First of all... It created that loyal sense of community because we were in this together, I was talking to you. But in you feeling like I cared, I also understood you and therefore the direction that Delicious Yellow was taking was always for the audience. So it was always for those people. So they stayed. And what I realised as well is I think, you know, sometimes now social media is a little bit older than it was at that point. You look at it and people have such big numbers and you think, oh my gosh, I can't do anything with my numbers. I don't think that's true either because Delicious Yellow, almost the most powerful point was our app and we had a really small community then just you know relatively speaking but you know tens of thousands of people went to number one overnight on the itunes store no marketing no publicity nothing solely the community and that was the same with the first book it yes. went to number one before it came out because yeah. of the community. The nurturing. You totally. nurtured it right so you, from the... You, exactly. It was an infant, wasn't it? And totally. you cared for it. Engage with those people. Yeah. Show them how much they matter and learn from them. Always. Well, it's all well and good me saying, well, I should do this, I should do that. They're the users. They know what they want. And so listen to them. Really, really do that. Pretty much all our decisions are based on their feedback and what they want. Ella is so right. If the community can guide you about what you're looking for, then you know before you even begin and take those first steps that you're on the right track. Another founder who discusses the values of community is Tamara Lohan, founder of Mr. Mrs. Smith. Here she is talking about utilising the knowledge of her fellow community. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. What advice would you give to dreamers or small businesses who don't feel that they're techie? So I think, you know, having an attitude to learning. So if there's a particular thing in your business that you're trying to solve, be that the hosting. So do you go Amazon? Do you go something else? How do you, you know, reading up and learning, but also building up your network 
of other businesses that are in the same kind of space and listening to them and what they're trialing is actually be more beneficial than going to all these conferences because you'll be wowed by the latest technology, but you don't need to jump on the bandwagon. And this is why, you know, I love uh, companies like Not on the High Street is that they've got this network of people who are making things and a lot of them are in the same place and they're dealing with you know how do I get my goods in transportation postage you know all that packaging all these things that you that you worry about are you getting it right if you can have a network that supports everybody within the network and you can share knowledge that is infinitely more valuable I reach out to other CTOs even the CTOs of competitive businesses and we share ideas and so if you've got a peer a set of peers who you can go to who will support you and you can support them with what you're learning I think that's the most important thing Hello everybody, Joe Wicks the Body Coach here and I just want to wish you all a wonderful Christmas and say thank you so much for all of your effort and hard work all year round to build your business, to live your dream. So keep going, keep smiling, keep moving forward. Have an amazing Christmas, sending you lots of love from me and I hope to see you succeed and grow and just keep having an amazing year and go and smash 2020. Good luck everybody. I think one of the main components shared with all our founders, regardless of their destination, their background or their product, is that the path to success is not an easy one. That in order to achieve success, failure along the way is terribly hard, but incredibly necessary and totally inevitable. So here is Levi Roots, live from Bristol, sharing his definition of failure, as well as Johnny Bowden sharing his philosophy on things not going according to plan. Well, I, I don't think there's a such thing as, as failure. I, I, I've taken that word out of my vocabulary. I, I don't use it really. I've, I've rebranded failure. I've rebranded it as feedback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, every time I've failed in my life, failed, you know, drastically, I can look back now and knowing that I'm not going to go back there again, you know, and, and I can pick out what I've learned from that. So life is about trial and errors, both. Yes. It doesn't say life is just about trials. It's about trial and errors. So you've got to, you've got to take both. But the most important thing is to learn from those, those errors. Don't let them become something that's not valuable. There yeah. is valuable in your mistakes if you learn from them. So that's how I deal with it. I don't, I don't see anything. I mean, even in the early days when, you know, I, I was a very bad boy in Brixton and, and unable to focus I do think even those mistakes that I made back then, it shaped me for who I am. And I'll, I'll tell you one very funny story before you move on. I, I, a few years ago, the, the mayor from Brixton had called me out to give me the keys to Brixton, and I turned up in Electric Avenue, one of the most famous streets in Brixton. Um, and the crowd was there, and the mayor is there, you know, with this symbol of the keys to your local bloody community. And, and just before he handed me the keys, I don't know why I said it, guys. It's a, it's a little bit funny things to say, but there was a reason. And just before he handed me the, the keys, I, I looked up and I says, Your Excellency, do you know that I've actually burgled every house in Brixton? <laughs> 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 but the reasons why I said that, 
and the truth behind it is that actually that did happen. <laughs> but here I am now under a different guise that everyone in my local community don't remember me as the bad boy that was running around as a, a 13, 14 year old kids and doing all this bad thing. They remember me now for being one of the biggest, most popular names that inspires young people in Brixton. So when I said that to the mayor, really what I was saying to this about change yes. is that you can change. It does become a lot harder. And I think I would always say to younger people, um, you know, don't commit to expensive things that, that are going to constrain you. And I think one of the many problems that young people, in fact, all people have, is that they develop expensive hobbies, tastes. We're so conditioned to expect this, you know, swanky lifestyle, foreign holidays, cars, weekends, you know, A bu you busy, social, bu busy social life. Um, and actually, in order to succeed, you, you can't, you have to jettison those things. I mean, you know, I was very lucky to be left this money, so I, I don't want to sound smug, but I, certainly in the first 10 years of the business, I, you know, I worked pretty much every weekend, didn't take much holiday, um, didn't have a very expensive lifestyle. And, you, you know, you do have to make those sacrifices. So once you've got the big mortgage, you know, you may have to sell your house. I mean, I, I had to put my house on the line, and I think if you're not willing to do that, you probably don't deserve to succeed. You know, you have got to make those sacrifices. And the great thing is if you've got a... I was lucky to have a lovely, supportive wife who was very happy, you know, touch wood, our marriage was strong enough that it didn't need those toys to survive. And I think, you know, if you can't make those sacrifices, you're, it's not going to work. Failure at the time it happens can be very, very painful, but it makes for a brilliant anecdote further down the line. Here's Lord Billamoria and Keith Abel sharing some of their failures before they even got their ideas off the ground. I've always believed as an entrepreneur, one of the mantras of an entrepreneur is never give up. But ironically and completely contradictory is you've also got to know when to give up. Yes. And if you're hitting a brick wall, there's no point carrying on if you can't get to the other side. And we had many ideas that got, never got off the ground. For example, you go to Hyderabad in India, where we're from, uh, and any, any woman who goes to Hyderabad will buy a string of pearls, mm -hmm. because Hyderabad has been famous for pearls, and it's a tradition that's built up. So we said, we will corner the world pearl market. We couldn't sell one string of pearls, <laughs> because <laughs> the Japanese pearls were much better quality, much more competitive in price, and so, yeah. We get that idea. We were given the license through our contacts in India to sell the biggest selling bath towel brand in India called Bombay Dyeing. Anyone in India knows Bombay Dyeing for sheets and, and, and uh, bath towels. And we thought, wow, Bombay Dyeing bath towels, licensed to print money. We couldn't sell one bath towel because the Portuguese bath towels <laughs> were much closer, better. less freight, better quality and better price. We couldn't sell a single bath towel. So we learned lots of lessons. Well, in 1986, I think. No, it was a bit earlier, about 84, I went to Kenya with a couple of friends on holiday. And in those days, you used to get a grant check at university. And I spent my grant check before the beginning of term. <laughs> and so I didn't have any money. And so I got a Saturday job 
with my mate Paul Cole, working for a chap called Gilchrist in Leeds, selling potatoes door-to-door. And I had a bit of experience as a door-to-door salesman because at the age 16, I'd sold fire extinguishers door-to-door. And I'd actually had training from a really great fire extinguisher salesman. (laughs) You had to do a demonstration, Holly, which consisted of basically putting down a newspaper, spraying it with lighter fluid, setting fire to it in their house, and then saying, you know, what would you do if this happened in your house? And then pull out and you'd say, you'd be really pleased if you had one of these. And uh, I'll never forget, after my training, I went into New Bond Street, into a shoe shop, spoke to the manager, put the newspaper down, sprayed petrol over it, to this absolute horror, I set a fire to it. I grabbed my fire extinguisher and it had run out. Oh, my God. I mean, I was 16. It was just one of those moments that regularly come to me where I just wanted to dig a large hole and climb into it. I just love that story. It never fails to bring a smile to my face. Hi, everyone. Dave here, and as we speak, I'm in my pants. I've got one sock on, one sock off, and I'm in my little studio room at home, tidying up and preparing it for the next chapter in my life. This humble little room will become the epicenter of real Hackney Dave Enterprises. (laughs) Interestingly, the process of doing that podcast with Holly all those months ago was a massive catalyst for me to really think about changing my life, getting out of advertising and attempting something new. when I did the Congregation of Inspiration, I think that absolutely compounded that feeling. It was an amazing buzz to be there in a a beautiful building full of the most incredible people, all with these massive plans. But they all had one thing in common, which is they had an ambition to live their best life. And I think that that's really potent and very important. 2020 is going to be amazing. It's a magical year because the two numbers actually match, which won't happen again in any of our lifetimes. So I think it's really worth thinking about the importance of this year and trying to make the best go of it possible. 2020 vision for me is also about seeing clearly, seeing through the rubbish, seeing what you want to do, what will make you happy, and then acting on that and doing it. I wish everybody the best of luck. I don't think you need it. I think you're all incredible people with passion, ambition, and amazing dreams. Just make it happen. 2020, let's fucking have it. And just as a point of interest, I'll be doing that 2020 Let's Fucking Have It as a print for next year's Congregation of Inspiration. It'll be £30. It'll be down in the basement in my humble little stall. See you then. Good luck. Lots of love. Dave. Bye. As we come to a close, there isn't one single letter this week, but I did want to end on some of the most fundamental pieces of advice from a couple of them. There are so many to choose from. I can't not underestimate what an impact all the founders I have spoken to have had on me, on the way I view the world and how I will move forward. So to each and every one of you who have liked, subscribed and listened and to all the 60 founders who have shared their precious time and experiences with me, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. So here are some words of wisdom and advice from a few letters from the past. I leave you with Wilfred Emmanuel Jones, Tamara Lohan and Joe Malone. Dear Wilfred, at the age of 56, you will get a life-threatening illness and I don't know whether you'll make it. Between now and then, live life as if every day is your last. 
What you are now, at the age of six, is what you will need to spend the next 50 years trying to hold on to. A boy full of curiosity, adventure, passion, fun, challenging, and of all things, keep asking questions, questions, and more questions. And never accept the statement, it can't be done. Anything is possible. Continue to be difficult, irreverent, challenging, and enjoy being a total pain in the arse. Beware of the fear mongers. They will be your greatest challenge. Be kind to yourself. Forgive yourself for mistakes. And these mistakes are signposts that you are living, not surviving. You are special. It is very important you keep telling yourself this. Life is very short and don't take living for granted for life is also very, very fragile. Your mission in life is to touch the souls of others to help them on their journey to self-fulfillment. Keep faith when the going gets tough for you are brave enough to be in the ring of life, a life that will stare doubt, foreboding and fear full on. A life that is not content with survival, but energized by the cries of all those like you. I'm afraid, but I shall keep moving forward. Dear Tamara, I'm not going to tell you to live your life to the full. I'm not going to tell you to seize every opportunity or make the most of every day because you know all that stuff and hearing it again won't make any difference. In any case, all those carpe diem homilies don't hit home until you get older and understand exactly what time does when things like death and fragility really start to mean something. And right now for you, they don't. You're there in a frozen moment, on the threshold of forever, anything possible and everything in your grasp. I remember being there. I know how scary it is and how exhilarating. If I were you, and I was, I wouldn't listen to me either. But don't worry. I'm not going to warn you off doing anything or tell you you're making bad decisions. You're going to make mistakes, a lot of them to be fair, but each one is important in its own way. We're all the products of the things we do wrong, possibly even more so than the things that go right. So please go ahead and make your blunders. They'll really help me out later. The good thing is that right now you're pretty fearless. So stop trying to work out who you should be. In the long run, it's much easier to be just who you are. And that's something you can do without even thinking about it. So don't stress. You worry too much as it is. But you don't listen enough. As much as you hate it, you have to have the humility to ask for help, advice and opinions when you need them. So, I was wondering if I could have yours. There are some things I've forgotten that I think you can teach me. You see, I've noticed a pattern with entrepreneurial people. They start businesses, grow them, sell them and then, well, they do the same thing all over again because sometimes they've forgotten how to do anything else. They put so much of themselves into making it work that it's almost as though they don't have much of themselves left when it's gone. And I'm scared that will happen to me. I need reminding who I am when I'm not Mrs Smith, and you're the only person I can think of who really knows. So tell me about yourself. What are your hobbies and interests? What is it that you think about when you're not working or worrying or trying to improve yourself? Who is it that you plan to become? Before I go, I want to set your mind at rest about something. 
I've got a feeling that right now you're concerned about being stuck in the same place and never getting to see the world. If there's one thing that defines your future, it's travel and you're going to love it. Dear Joe, happy 16th birthday. You're about to start your very first job. Good luck. I know you feel at this moment that the weight of the world lies on your shoulders. You think, will it ever be different? Yes, it will, I promise. But just take a minute and realise what a hard-working, tenacious, incredible young woman you are. You have survived. I know you probably won't believe this, but you'll go on to change the world and you'll leave an imprint that will last for many generations. You will bring laughter, happiness and fulfilment to many. Joe, don't always be in a hurry to get to the destination. Enjoy the moment, celebrate it, because I promise life will pass quickly. Your lack of education, your dyslexia and all of the things that you think have prevented you from fulfilling your dreams will in fact be the greatest gift. They will make them happen. Don't be afraid to think differently. It's who you are and people will love you for that. Don't be afraid to shed tears and embrace and enjoy laughter. Good luck on your first day. It is the start of a shopkeeper's adventure. Enjoy it. This love will never leave your life. I'm sorry. See you on the other side of age. I will be waiting. Love, Joe. P.S. The bucket of water you are about to throw over your boss in the next few months is not a great idea. So on that note, we've come to the end of this podcast, this series and this year. Thank you so much for listening, for believing in our mission and being the wind beneath my wings. It is my privilege to share these stories that show how courage, determination and good intentions can take you to places far beyond your own imagination to create positive change in the world. So I'm sending all my love to you. Happy Christmas and have the most wonderful new year. I'll see you all in January. Thanks NatWest again for sponsoring this podcast. It wouldn't exist without them. And I know how many small businesses this podcast is actually helping. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering business owners. To make use of their free NatWest Business Hub, which is full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals, go to natwestbusinesshub.com. Also, have you heard of their incredible mission to help 400,000 more women start a business by 2025? To help female founders launch and scale their business, they have launched Back Her Business, a programme which helps women prepare their business idea for crowdfunding.
Now, here's the best bit. Most of the funding will come from the crowd, where NatWest has teamed up with Crowdfunder. But the bank will provide a top-up in funding and will be offering up to 50% of an individual's fundraising target, capped at £5,000, for certain successful projects. Yes, you heard right. You could win the ability to have the amount you raised, if £5,000 or under, matched by NatWest. I wish I wish I'd had this opportunity available when I launched Not on the High Street or even Holly & Co. Head to natwestbackerbusiness.co.uk to find out more. Also, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. My mission is to help everyone build a business doing what they love. I've seen how happy founding a business based on your passions can make you, and I want everyone to have that fulfillment. Happiness is the new rich, and using your business as a force for good is the new way of doing commerce. So let's create a nation of happiness happy entrepreneurs that are changing the world for the better. Can I ask you a question? Might you help me on this mission? If you like what you've listened to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Thanks so much. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in 